Good morning, everybody. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 15. We are continuing our series on Abraham. As you're turning there, um, I don't know if you have mentioned this, this new young lady sitting over here. She is our new intern. Her name is Bryce. Bryce, will you mind standing up? We'd like to embarrass you on your first day. So let's give her a hand. We are really excited about, about her being here, and we, uh, Peyton has told, he's just said lots of great things about her, and um, so I know our young people are excited as well. Let's just jump into this this morning, okay? Genesis chapter 15, he says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward heaven, number the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is a big moment in the Abraham story. The word of the Lord comes to him in this vision at night. Now, the Lord has come to him before, and Abraham simply listens and he obeys. On this account, he talks. He responds. And what we see is he doubts. And he says, Lord, look, I've been doing, we've been on this road for about 20 years now, since you promised this way back in Ur. And he says, there is no child. I'm way past bearing age. Uh, my wife's way past bearing age. I am too. He said, it's just... And so the Lord says to him, he said, come on outside. And I want you to look up and see these stars. And he says, as many as there are stars in the sky, he says, that will be your descendants. And if we understand we are meant to draw back just right before chapter 15, where we learn that it is God, the creator who made the stars. And the one who made those innumerable stars, he says he can make the descendants of Abraham. And it just simply says in verse 6, Abraham believed. He believed the Lord. And it was counted to him for righteousness. You may say, okay, why are we going way back thousands of years and talking about this guy, Abraham? What does this have to do with me? And the answer to that is everything. Let's now go to the book of Romans. That's where we're going to be the rest of our times. Romans chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Paul dedicates an entire chapter to this one verse in Genesis. It's almost as if he is saying... If you don't get this right, you're going to miss out on something very, very important. 
And you may say, well, what is it that's so important? What's important is that I am justified, I am saved by the righteousness, the goodness of God, and not my own righteousness, not my own goodness. What have you learned about Abraham last week with Peyton? The guy messes up. He's flawed. He's not the best man on the earth. He, he is a guy who is doubting here in this chapter. He's a guy who, in, not once but twice, lies about his wife being his sister so that he's not put in danger, but he allows her to be taken off. He is going to, to uh, listen to his wife in taking his handmaid to be one of his concubines so that she can have a child by proxy through this woman instead of waiting on, the, on God to fulfill the promise. He's a man of faith, but his faith has got to grow. He isn't perfect. And right before chapter 4 in Romans, Paul says the same thing about all of us. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So how can he be made righteous? How can we? How can we? That's where we're ready to jump into Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? We just read it. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. You get this? Listen to what he's saying. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Faith. Faith. I want you to think of this biblical faith as if you are stretching out your arms and opening your hands to receive a gift that God wants to give you. And it sounds simple, doesn't it? Except that we live in an, an achievement-oriented society. We're not always very comfortable with that. We are tempted to base our relationship on, with God based on what I do, based on how good I am. And that type of thinking is going to take you on a totally different journey than Abraham. It's going to take you on a journey of depression and anxiety and despair. Because what you're going to discover is this. You are going to fail and it's going to bother you that you are not living up to God's expectations. Now, let's get this out of the way. Doing God's will is a necessary result of faith. In fact, Peyton read a great verse from Ephesians 2 verse 10 a moment ago about that very thing. We're created for that. But it must never be seen as the foundation of 
our relationship with God, because it's not. We put our faith in Jesus. Believing in who Jesus is. He is God in human, who came in human form. We believe in what he did. He died for us. For our sinfulness. He raised from the dead so that we have hope from the grave. Faith in him. It rejects any other kind of salvation. It rejects any others who say their salvation is in them. We are united with Christ. And his righteousness is counted for our righteousness. So faith connects us to Christ and we are counted for righteousness. That's an interesting word. Some of your translations may say impute or reckons or credited. And what it's saying is Abraham was credited for a righteousness that was not his own. Abraham believed. He believed his promises and God granted him righteousness. That is, God considered him right with him. Why is that important? It's important because we are justified by faith and not our works, not our goodness. Paul's been building up to this point. As he's leading into this whole thing, in the end of chapter 3, he is leading up to this point. He quotes, if you notice that we read just a moment ago in chapter 4, he quotes from a psalm, Psalm 32. It's a, it's a psalm that encourages the reader to put their trust in the guidance of of God. And it, it is a twofold blessing that he gives right at the beginning. He says, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed are those whose sins are covered. And what he's showing here is it wasn't just Abraham, but it's also David. It's also everyone else who believed in the word of the Lord about, about how we are going to be saved and trusting God. In all of those things. Now, Abraham and David, guess what? They continued to sin. Do you know the very next story in the Abraham narrative from the one we just read is when he decides he's going to, you know, use a different source to bring the promised child into the world? Uh, we know that Abraham, I mean, David, he had his struggles too, right? And yet, God does not hold their sin against them. He accepts them and he blesses them. Because they believe in the promise and they try to live their life according to the promise, even though they fail. For John Bunyan, this was a huge, this was a life-changing experience to learn of the imputed righteousness of God. He tried to live his life in perfection and, and he just kept failing and, and he, he was in this spiritual torture for years until he came to the conclusion that it's the righteousness of God, of Jesus Christ that saves him and not of his perfection. 
Why is grace so difficult for us to accept? You know, we struggle with being indebted to someone, don't we? Think about it. Let's think it's Christmas. It's time for us to go over for the big family get-together. You know, everybody's going to be there, and everybody is expecting you to bring gifts, but you don't have money that year. You got two choices. You either show up without gifts or you fake an illness. <laughs> right? Showing up with gifts, it tells everybody they got it together. Things are going good in their life. Grace says the opposite, and that's why we struggle. Grace is not based on our goodness. It's based on Christ. We still sin, but the grace of God has declared us to be righteous in his standing. This is why Jesus came. This is why our heart should overflow with this love for God. We say, look, this is our mission here. We want everybody to remember this as a church. And the very first thing is love God. You want to know how you can grow in your love for God. Try to understand grace a little bit. Try to quit looking at yourself and your greatness and how good you are. And looking at how bad other people are compared to how good you are. If you really want to fall in love with this God. We struggle because often we see grace as a doctrine rather than a person. The Jews struggle with the same thing. In fact, let's look at the text again. Let's go to verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. The promise doesn't come through obedience to the Mosaic law. In fact, according to Galatians 3 and verse 17, the Mosaic law is not going to come for another 430 years uh, after Abraham. And no one can be saved by the law because the law demands perfection. And none of us have that capability. None of us. We may put on a good front. We may make other people believe we got it all together. But folks, we don't. We just don't. And if you don't believe what I'm telling you, read Deuteronomy 28. Start in verse 58 and just start reading. And you're going to see that unless you are perfect in the law, you're cursed. But what the law could not do, God did by sending his son. I love the end of chapter 4 in Romans, verse 15. He says, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, folks, this is why it's good to understand words in the Bible. Words that maybe we don't use a whole lot. Transgression means someone who disobeys the law. All transgressions are sin, but not all sin is transgressions. Transgression is someone who disobeys a commandment of God, which makes it of a much more serious form. It, it's, it, it needs a stricter judgment 
So is Paul saying that the law is nullified? That it's void? Sometimes we think that. But right before, right before he comes into chapter 4, he says, no. By no means the law, folks, is the standard of God's holiness. It convicts us of sin. It helps us along in our Christian life. In fact, when you get into chapter 13, what do we notice? He starts giving these laws. He's showing us. But if we look at this as a way, uh, as, a, as a rule book that we are capable of following to perfection, you miss it. You miss it. He wasn't overthrowing it. He is emphasized, and we here, by the way, we emphasize the study of God's word, the obedience to that word. But that is not the marker by which we have a, our relationship with God where we are made righteous. We strive for this, but you're not going to do it to perfection. The law was meant to show us, listen to this, the law was meant to show us that we must trust God. We rely on God's mercy and his grace because every one of us falls short of his glory. I love Isaiah. Isaiah says, look, our righteous deeds are like a, are like a polluted garment. What a metaphor. Our attempts are not good enough. We need the imputed righteousness of God. We need Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law. He died. His death paid the penalty for breaking the law. In Jesus' parable of the wedding feast, it, he sends out people all over the city, all around. It says even the good and the bad to come to this wedding. And, and when they come, they all have one thing in common. They've all been given a wedding garment by the king. Everybody who attends is literally draped in the gracious gift of the king. And so it is with us. God invites us into his house. He wants to give us the pure white robe of Christ's righteousness. And folks, that's good news. He mentions one in that very parable. He shows up without the garment on. He's going to show up in his own. And guess what? He's sent out. Because you can't do it on your own. This is the gospel, folks, that was preached, believe it or not, to Abraham. That's the good news. It's important to us. And when I say us, I mean our story. I'm talking about, in the Bible, it's talking about non-Jews. They sometimes call us Gentiles. Or Paul, in this text, he refers to those who are uncircumcised. In fact, let's go, to, let's go back to the text. Look at verse 9. He says, Is this blessing then for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? 
For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Standard Jewish doctrine was that, look, if somebody's going to be saved, they have to be saved. One of the ways is through circumcision. And, and they struggled with this. Even in the early church, those what we call Messianic Jews, those who followed Jesus, even they were struggling with it. Whole chapters dedicated to that in Acts chapter 15. But Abraham's faith it was credited to him for righteousness. And it happened before he was circumcised. It was at least 14 years. Jewish chronology tells us it was 29 years. And the point is that his circumcision had nothing to do with the righteousness that God has imputed in him. And, it, and so it was a seal. It was a sign. Meaning it symbolized the removal of that guilt. The removal of the sin. But folks, let's not underestimate signs and symbols and the significance, these seals either. Because we can do that. We look at the rainbow. The rainbow does not save us from a worldwide flood. But it is a sign that God is not going to destroy the earth as he did in the time of Noah. We have wedding rings. You put those wedding rings on, it does not promise that you're going to have a great marriage. But it is a symbol of what a great marriage is supposed to be. And when you have a couple who love each other, they, will, they do not want to remove those rings. They will, they will cherish those things, but they do not guarantee. And folks, we've got to be careful because we can do the same with baptism. I've heard well-meaning Christians talk about their adult children and, and their living a life of rebellion to God. And they'll say something like, well, at least they were baptized. Or I've had some say, you know, I know they're, they're, they're living a totally different life. I just wish they would be baptized and then they'd be okay. As if following a rule, despite living a faithless life, is going to save them. And that is not to demean baptism. We are big believers here. Folks, we got, a big, we got a baptistry right here. We believe in it. We believe it's important. Jesus was baptized. But if we think following a rule is what saves us, it doesn't. Baptism symbolizes. It seals Two chapters over from the one that we're dealing with here in Romans. He says it symbolizes Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And to symbolize that we, as we walk, as we come up out of the waters, we too have died to ourselves. We have buried it, and we now are walking this new life of faith. 
of this righteousness that God has imputed upon us so that, he goes on, so we become instruments of righteousness. We have to put these things in its perspective. The promise that was given to Abraham is that all the families of the earth would be blessed through his seed, and that seed would be Jesus. Let's finish up with Romans. Let's go to verse 16. He says, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist in hope. He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And then going down to verse 24, he says, but for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up in our trespasses and raised for our justification. Genesis 15, folks, it is, it is still early on in Abraham's walk. Along the way, he's going to learn to take his hands off of his life over and over again and to trust God. Radical obedience, it comes one step at a time. It doesn't come just when you rise up out of the waters of baptism, trust me. It is a life, it is a journey of faith. Sometimes we wonder, how in the world could Abraham, in his story, be willing to march his, this promised son he had been waiting so long for, to march him up that mountain in order to sacrifice him because God had commanded him to do so? How in the world could he do that? He did it because of what happened in the small thing about five decades before that. God called him, and he got up and he went. And all along the way, his faith continued to build. You follow God in the small things that leads to the big things. Abraham is a model of true faith. No, he wasn't perfect. But thank God Jesus was. And Abraham waited for this moment. Listen to what Jesus said in John 8, 56. You ever seen this before? Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. How did he see it? By faith. By faith, Abraham believed the word of God. By faith, he followed God's call. By faith, he built altars in pagan lands. By faith, he exalted the name of God in these places. By faith, he lived his life. And you may be a person who's here and you're like, I need to start this journey 
When we talk about growth track, this is one avenue, the first class that will be offered on that first week. It's all about some of this aspect, talking about what it is that, what, what do we believe? What, how do I get started on this journey? Now, you don't have to wait till June. Please, come see me. Some, if you're visiting with someone that's a part of this, talk to them. It doesn't matter. Because if they're people of faith, they can tell you about this Jesus. And folks, that's what's so important. That's what God calls us to do. And then what we learn is that as we begin this life of faith, as God has, has made us righteous, we are so excited about doing the works of God because he empowers us to do those things. Those works and your perfection are not going to save you. But out of a heart of thankfulness for God's grace and mercy, I'm overflowing with loving this God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we just thank you for this, this day that we have. Father, I pray that our faith will continue to grow not just individually, but as a church. Father, help our faith to grow. Help us to be that person that would be willing to climb mountains and do things that we would think would be impossible. Father, just help us. Help us to do the small things and help us to build. Father, I just pray for those who are here and, and they're, they want to get on this journey. They, they know they're, they need saved. They know their, their perfection is is. They have none. Father, help them to trust in your Son. Help them to see this gift that's just right here before their eyes. And Father, help us to be your instruments of righteousness in, in sharing this good news with others. Father, we just we ask you to be with others in this church. Maybe they're struggling spiritually in their lives. Maybe right now they're, they're trying to do things that are out of your will. Father, bring them back as you did Abraham. Continue to bring them and keep them on that path. And Father, help us as a, as a community of believers to continue to, to love one another and to help each other in these things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.